from the book of John, and it's on page 50, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary, who stood outside the tomb crying, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that, they, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, Jess. And let me add my welcome to Jess and everyone else. My name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here at this, the Bridge Church, and it's great that you've joined us to celebrate Easter this, uh, this Easter Sunday. The theme of our Easter Sunday is belief. And the risen Jesus, whom we're here celebrating, said these words that are up on the screen. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let me tell you about the blessing of two friends of mine who haven't seen yet have believed. The first is Don. Don is an 89-year-old friend of mine who I do pump classes with at the gym. Now, that may surprise you because, one, there's an 89-year-old man who can do pump classes, or two, because the minister at this church does women's exercise classes. (laughs) But Don is a wonderful man of faith. Uh, Don, when he gets together with his friends, Ken, David, and Brian, he says that they have an organ recital. That is, they go through and they recite which organs of their bodies have let them down in the last few weeks. But in these last few weeks, for Don, it hasn't been his organs. It's just been life. Life has thrown him some big curveballs. His wife has been in hospital for the last two weeks with a number of infections. And last Saturday, he received one of those shocking phone calls. His distressed son over in New York called him to let him know that his daughter-in-law had died at the dinner table. Don is terrified, his death has just come rushing in. But we sat and read these words that we've just read here from John chapter 20 on Wednesday morning. And Don said to me, I'm not afraid of what happens when I die. I know where I'm going. In fact, I'm quite looking forward to it. Death is is still painful for Don. It hurts It is still uh, such agony, but death has lost its sting because Don believes in the resurrected Jesus and because Jesus rose, Don knows he too will rise. Don is blessed by having hope in the face of death and sadness. Next friend who's blessed by believing is Ian. Uh, I met Ian 12 years ago at the Bridge Church down in Kirribilli. Uh, Ian is a man who had been a Christian for many years, but life was really not delivering in the way that Ian had hoped. And so he had to make a choice. Do I keep on believing? Ian decided it wasn't worth it. Six years ago, I met Ian out in the street. And Ian was dressed in a sort of uh, fusion between Hare Krishna and Buddhist monk. And I said, Ian, we've missed you at church. I'm an atheist. He responded. And then he briefly shared with me his journey through different world religions. 
Last Sunday down in Kirribilli, at Sunday night, Ian stood up in front of church and said, God wants a relationship with you. He said, God is real. I have examined the religions of the world and, and I believe that Jesus rose and God wants you to know that he is there for you. You don't have to turn to, to the pubs, to alcohol, to drugs or whatever else to suppress the sadness or disappointment in your heart. You can turn to a God who loves you and is listening to you. Afterwards, I went up to Ian and said, Ian, surprised to see you back at church. <laughs> Ian said how he had examined faiths and come to the conclusion that Jesus really did rise, that it is true. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the truth about God. Jesus is the way to have life with God. And life hasn't got a lot better for Ian, but at least he knows that he is walking in relationship with the true and living God. He knows that he is walking in the ways of truth that God has given There's two people who are blessed by believing. Today, around our world, 2.38 billion people claim to identify in some form as Christians. That means a third of our world will have woken up and wished one another Happy Easter in some form or another. And millions upon millions of those people will be in church just like you and I to celebrate that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So there are many people who believe. But is it reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, I want to share with you five reasons to believe that Jesus rose from John's gospel. I'd love you to have it open with you. John chapter 20, verse 50. There's five little sections we're going to go through here. The first is I want to say you can believe that Jesus really rose because the tomb is empty. Believe because of the empty tomb. Well, John records how very early on that first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John discovered Jesus' empty tomb. And as far as I can see it, there are four possibilities uh, available. The first is that grave robbers came and took Jesus' body from the tomb. It's, It's unlikely, though, that the grave robbers would leave the only thing that was really of any value in the grave. So the clothes, that the linen cloth that had been wrapped around him were left behind in the tomb. There was no black market for organs in that day. Well, the second possibility was that the authorities took Jesus' body. And that is certainly what Mary concluded. She ran to the disciples and she said, they they, they, the ones who put him to death, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. I've got no idea where they've put him. But if that were the case, surely those same authorities could have reproduced the body of Jesus after all the hoo-ha happened and, and the disciples started going around Israel saying, he's risen. They could have come back with the body. Third possibility was that the disciples could have taken the body. Well, three times throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus had taught publicly that he would suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and the Roman authorities. He would die and rise again. It was known that this is what he said he was going to do. And the authorities knew it, and so they stationed a military guard at the entrance to that tomb. So they were prepared for it, and it was improbable that the disciples would go and take this body out 
and get through this, this, this military guard and then live for a lie. But we'll share a bit more about that later. The fourth possibility is that Jesus really did rise. That over in Israel, there is an empty tomb where death couldn't hold this man who claimed to be the Son of God. Have you ever heard of the, the dialogue that took place between a Muslim believer and a Christian believer? It went like this. We Muslims have one thing you Christians don't have. When we go to Medina, we find a coffin and know that Muhammad lived because we have his body in it. When you go to Jerusalem, you find nothing. The Christian said, thank you. What you say is just so true. And that's what makes the eternal difference. The reason we find an empty tomb is that we don't serve a dead man, but a risen, living Jesus. Second reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus is because of the first eyewitnesses. Here I'm going to invite our sister Rowena up to share her reflections on Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene that first Easter morning. I'm going to be speaking particularly about the interaction between Jesus and Mary Magdalene at the tomb. I'm going to begin with how Mary's recorded testimony, and we have it recorded in all four Gospels, provides really compelling evidence that Jesus did rise from the dead and that the resurrection did take place. Well, let me show us how we can say this with such conviction. Well, throughout most ancient cultures, including Jesus' culture, women were unfortunately and quite significantly discriminated against. There were all kinds of laws regarding what women could and couldn't do in the temple to do with worship. For instance, a woman was not even allowed to touch the scriptures in case she defiled them. In public life, a man was not allowed to talk with a woman. And in Jewish law, a woman's testimony was not accepted because she was seen as unreliable. The historian Josephus even wrote that he wouldn't trust the testimony of a multitude of women because of the levity and boldness of their sex. So, I know. so against this backdrop, it is impossible to believe that anyone would even dream of entrusting the first witness of Jesus to a woman, let alone a woman like Mary Magdalene, and I'll talk a bit more about her later. It would have made more sense if you were making the story up to say that Jesus appeared to a Jewish official or to a Pharisee or even to a Roman, but that's not the case here. Mary Magdalene's recorded testimony points to the authenticity of the resurrection. But I'm going to talk a little bit now about how this interaction between Jesus and Mary Magdalene impacts me and speaks to my life. Well, for me, this portion of scripture over the past week has held a mirror up to my own tendency to doubt Jesus, to doubt his power, to doubt his promises, to doubt that he sees purpose and value in me. In this passage we've just read, Jesus says to Mary, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Now, this isn't quite a rebuke. It's more like a gentle challenge to Mary. It's not unlike what Jesus says to the disciples when they're out on the boat on the, on the river, on the, storm, on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm that comes and washes the waves over the boat, and the disciples are terrified. And Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, Mary Magdalene had been with Jesus. She'd been with him throughout his ministry. She'd seen the countless miracles that he'd performed. As Ed said, Jesus had even told them that he was going to rise from the dead. 
Yet she found this impossible and incomprehensible to believe when faced with it, which is understandable. Now, I have been a Christian for many decades now. I've known Jesus intimately, and I've seen him come through time and time again and answer my prayers. And yet, like Mary, when I'm faced with trouble, I tend to do what Mary did. In Mary's sorrow and desolation, she was unable to see Jesus who was right in front of her. So she did what a lot of us try to do. She tried to take control, talking about going to get the body and bringing it back and taking care of it. Similarly, if I find myself in a distressing situation, unfortunately, my default is often to just start ranting to God and babbling and telling him what's wrong and I can't believe this has happened and it's not fair and what are we going to do? And just like Mary in the garden, where Jesus stopped her in her tracks just by saying her name, Mary. So I've also known that voice of God reminding me that he knows me by name, that he's been with me in my past, is carrying me in my present and will walk with me in my future. And I really believe that that's what God wants to say to us today, that God is with you. He was with you, he is with you, and he will be with you. And finally, I am just so glad that the God that I serve does not disqualify anyone based on things like gender or age or appearance or intelligence or what kind of school we went to or any of the other ways that society likes to label men and women. Jesus chose and delivered and healed an incredibly tormented and tortured woman. We learn in scripture that Mary Magdalene was delivered by Jesus of seven demons. Seven demons. I don't think that I've ever met anyone who was possessed of seven demons. Maybe people here have experienced that, but I can hazard a guess that at the very least, she would have been of a slightly doubtful reputation, that she was probably feared, distrusted, kept away from community, hated even. And what I love is to think about what might have been going through Jesus' mind when he first saw Mary. That when he looked at Mary, he did not see a troubled and tormented woman. He saw her potential. He saw what she would be doing. He saw the woman who would be one of the last standing with him at the cross while he was dying. The first at the tomb when he rose again. And the one entrusted to go and tell his brothers that she had seen the Lord. I hope this is an encouragement for anyone here who might be feeling disqualified from doing anything for God. You are not disqualified. I love that throughout Scripture and in the New Testament, Jesus is constantly going to those who were the least likely, who saw themselves as the least likely. For most of my life, I've seen myself as the least likely. I suffer from massive insecurity and get intimidated easily. The only way that I can do anything is through God. And I'd just like to end by reminding us that Jesus has commissioned all of us, all of us, to tell the world of his love, of his forgiveness, and most importantly, of today's Easter message that he is alive, he's risen, and therefore we all have the most incredible hope and life-giving message to give to the world. Thanks, Rowena. So believe because of the empty tomb, believe because of the first eyewitnesses, Believe because of the risen body of Jesus. Well, many people love to suggest to me that maybe Jesus just rose in the hearts of the disciples, in their belief, in their their communal uh, trust. A bit like at a funeral, we might say, you will live on forever in our hearts. But the eyewitnesses didn't leave that option available to us. 
No, they said that time and time again, over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared to over 600 different people. At one point, he appeared to 500 people at one time in one place. It seems implausible that that many people would hallucinate in one moment, that this would be a ghost in some manner. The, uh, the, we just, as Rowena just pointed out, Mary Magdalene was clinging to Jesus. She was physically with him. Uh, the disciples, when they gathered together on that first Easter Sunday evening in their, in their room, in their house, Jesus was there with them and they were touching hands and side and feeling this really was Jesus. He really was alive. Other accounts record him breaking bread with his disciples, eating a fish with them. Ghosts don't eat fish. Further evidence that Jesus really did rise. Fourth, believe because of the disciples' testimony. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the Watergate scandal that took place in the 1970s and resulted in the resignation of President Richard Nixon. Charles Colson was a political advisor to President Nixon and one of the key, uh, the key instigators embroiled and convicted in this scandal. Charles Colson became a Christian as a result of what happened through the Watergate scandal. And he writes these things. Just going to close this door. My children run around on the uh, downstairs. There they are. Charles Colson wrote this. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. If you, however, are finding it all hard to believe, well, you're in good company because there was one disciple who wasn't there that first Sunday night, and that's Thomas, who said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas outright refused to believe the evidence in spite of his good friend's testimony. And you might be able to relate to that. You might be here today because someone in your life uh, loves you and also believes in Jesus. And they might be a wonderfully trustworthy person. You might trust them with anything that they tell you, except you're unwilling to trust them in this matter of their faith in Jesus and their belief in him. Would you be willing to just trust them? If they're trustworthy people, if they're loving people, would you listen to their testimony? Hear it out. See if it's worth believing in. Let me speak on their behalf and say we would love you to explore the evidence for yourself. This is a church where we believe it is totally fine to come with your doubts, to come with your questions. This is not just come here and drink the Kool-Aid. No, come as you are and ask and question because a faith that's worth building your life on needs to be a faith that stands up to the test. And so we run a course in this church called Alpha. 
It's a place for anyone of any background to come and explore the questions of life, faith, meaning, and God from a Christian worldview to examine the evidence. And we do it over dinner uh, down in Kirribilli and discussion. We do it online if you'd rather join from, on, from your home online. We do it in person in the mornings with childminding. And we also do it on Wednesday nights over at Macquarie Park. We really believe that this is a place that we want people to come and explore Jesus. Rowena and myself are leaders on that course, and we would love to warmly invite you to come and try Alpha with us after Easter this year. Well, Thomas was the kind of person, uh, this man that we read about, who would say no to an invitation to Alpha because Thomas had laid down very strict conditions under which he would believe. Unless Jesus appears to me, I will not believe he'd said. And that's our fifth and final piece of evidence. Believe because you will see him. Uh, I'm sure, like most of us, we would love that kind of personal encounter that Thomas got. But the Bible promises that one day you will get it. The Bible promises that one day every single person will meet Jesus, the risen Jesus. Every eye will see him. Everyone who ever has lived, ever will live, will see Jesus. Jesus, throughout the course of his life, fulfilled 324 prophecies and promises made about the Messiah, about the Son of God who would come. And he fulfilled promises that he could have no control over, like where he would be born, like the nature of his death, like what the, the soldiers would do with his clothes when he was pinned up on a cross and couldn't control it. All these promises Jesus fulfilled, but there is one promise and one prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled, and that is that Jesus will return and that everyone will see him. Everyone will come face to face. Now, I'm not a gambling man, but I would suggest that there's pretty good odds that if a guy can fulfill 324 times on his promises, you can trust him for his 325th. That there are good odds that Jesus will be true to his words and come back. And his resurrection is the first time that he's serious about coming through on that last promise. Look at the words that fell from Thomas's lips when he himself saw the resurrected Jesus. Verse 28, Thomas said, My Lord and my God, are you ready to meet resurrected King Jesus? I invited my friend Rohan, or Ro as we call him, to come and celebrate Easter with us at church here today. No, he said. Oh, uh, do you have, are you going to be away this Easter? No. Um, do you, have you got some stuff on that you're going to be doing, Ro? No, I'm just a hard no. Oh, Ro and his family are normally up for adventure. Like they, they do anything with us, you know. We just ask them and they're, they're keen. I fumbled around with a few reasons why I thought he should come. You know, it's just one Sunday. Like, you know, you haven't tried this before. You baptized your kids this year to get them into school. Wouldn't you come and celebrate an Easter with them? Um, I eventually finished with, like, can I invite your wife and children? And it's like, they're free to answer for themselves. What I wish I'd said, and it always a better answer comes to you when you walk off, isn't it? And as I walked off, I wish I'd said, Ro, have you examined the evidence for Jesus' life 
and for his resurrection. Because if you've examined it and found it to be a lie, then I'd love to know because I'm really, really wasting my life. And I've got heaps of other things I could do. But if the evidence is true, if it mounts up, then you've really got to pay attention to it. You've got to come and, and check it out and do business with it. This is now my 24th Easter of celebrating that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and I'm still yet to find compelling evidence to doubt that fact. So, do you believe? Do you believe? Over the page, John tells us the reason why he wrote this eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. Verse 30 of chapter 20, John says... Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus promised blessings for those who believed, and the blessings are there, that you may have life in Jesus' name. The blessing is life to the full now. Life with God. Life lived in relationship with the one who created us and sustains us and gives us life. Life as a friend of God's. Life lived in the truth, the way Ian discovered it. Life that is life to the full, as Jesus said. He came that we could really, truly come alive. That is one of the blessings of believing. The second blessing is life everlasting in the age to come. Jesus said that any who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Life everlasting is the blessing that Don took hold, has taken hold of. It's the confidence in the faith of, face of death or disappointment or disillusionment. There is better yet to come. And Jesus' resurrection, like the first light coming over the horizon, is the first light of a new dawn, of a new day of resurrected life that God has promised will come. And that blessing is available to anyone, anyone who would believe. So let me pray that God would give us a spirit of belief and trust in his resurrection and the evidence given there, and also that we would take hold of the blessings that are ours in believing. So let me conclude in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the compelling evidence you've given us that Jesus really did rise. Please give to us both the gift of belief and the blessings of believing, that we might come most fully alive now and have the certain hope of eternal life in the age to come. Amen. Well, Jesus himself, the night before he died, instituted a meal by which we can keep on being blessed. It's the Lord's Supper, uh, little symbols of bread and juice, by which we, as followers of Jesus, would take and remember that Jesus gave up his body uh, for us to die in our place, making us right with God. Jesus poured out his blood, washing away our sins, making us holy and pure in God's sight. Uh, this meal, in a sense, is like an invitation to life with God. And so if you're someone who does believe in Jesus, we invite you to participate in this meal of remembrance, the Lord's Supper or communion, as we call it. 
Uh, what we're going to do is during our next song, gluten-free bread and juice will be circulated around the building and just grab hold of it and hold on to it and we'll take and eat that together. Uh, if you're someone who is not yet believing, please just let that, that, those um, elements pass you by. And if you're someone for whom you would rather an individually wrapped cup, they will also be circulating down the middle aisle and you can just indicate that you'd like one of those. Uh, one thing we're going to do before we, we sing is in the spirit of belief, we're going to affirm with Christians whom for the last 2,000 years have stood and affirmed what they believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. So before we sing, let's stand and let's say together the words of the Apostles' Creed that are here on the screen. Church, I ask you, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.